this week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Welcome to Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today. Tonight, as you turn to Hebrews chapter 13, I'm going to be preaching tonight on this subject, putting it all into practice. Putting it all into practice. We come to the end of Hebrews, and what a letter it has been. This book has had five warnings, warning passages uh, given to us in this letter, given to the Jews. Uh, deep, deep theological truths were taught in this letter, and it has been anything but a simple book of the Bible. We began our journey through Hebrews, the first part of uh, this year, and at times the book of Hebrews has been filled with complicated doctrines. It's been one of the most difficult books I've ever attempted with the Lord's help to preach through. But at the end of it all, with all the complicated doctrines and deep truths, it is still very much a letter. A letter written to a very real church, a very real group of people. No, I think sometimes we miss that, especially when we read the epistles of the New Testament with all their great doctrines, that, that really it's just a letter to a bunch, of, a bunch of people, people like me and people like you that were trying to live this life and live it for God. And uh, we come to the, to the end of it and we see all that again. We see how personal it is. When we come to chapter 13, I call this message putting it all into practice because in this last chapter, what you have is the practical application of the book of Hebrews. The practical application of it all. Uh, he's going to show us here, having learned everything that we've learned in 12 chapters preceding, he's going to show us now how we should behave in light of all this. He's going to show us that character does matter. It does matter how you live. He's going to show us that should the world ever bring an accusation against a Christian, it should always be unfounded. There should be no proof to its validity. Our lives are supposed to be testimonies for the glory of God. That's what we mean around here when we say that we will glorify God. I know there's a lot, a lot to that, but real simply, it just means that our lives are going to be testimonies for, for God's glory. Nobody should be able to point a finger of accusation at God's people and say that they've done this or that. Uh, we should try to live a life that is clean and right and behave in a way that pleases the Lord. That's why the Bible is so important. This, this Word is our foundation. This Bible teaches us how to live. Uh, apart from the Bible, we don't know how to live. Apart from the Bible, we don't know how to glorify God. That's why the world's in such a messed up place. The world doesn't have a moral cause. Oh, it's out there. They've got the Bible if they want to read it, but they don't read it. And the reason the world's in such a messed up shape is not because the Republicans are in control or the Democrats are in control or this guy's president or this guy's governor. The reason the world's in such a messed up way is because the world doesn't come to the moral compass. Uh, the world just says, well, just do what you think's right. Just do what you think's right. 
Well, the problem is, when you get a room full of people, and you tell everybody to do what they think's right, you have a hundred different ideas of what they think's right. You know, the world, they, they just say, oh, well, we, we don't need all this doctrine and all these standards. Just, just go out there and love everybody. And so one guy says, well, I'll do that. He comes over to your wife and he says, well, I just think I'll love your wife. And some husband says, oh, no, you won't. I mean, where, where do you get the idea for what's right, what's love, what's not, what's right? Uh, you have to have a doctrine. A foundation, a, a principle, a basis for how we're supposed to live. And that's what we're given here in the book of Hebrews. We're given Christ. And now the writer of Hebrews says, now that you know Christ, and all that we've talked about Him, here's how to put what you know about Him into practice so that your life will glorify God. Now we still don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Have a, have a good idea that, I don't know if he's talked about it yet with the Lord, but have a good idea that Larry Draper knows now who wrote the book of Hebrews. <laughs> he's probably thinking, Chad, I told you it was Paul. I told you it was Paul. He and I down through the years have gone on. I've uh, thought my personal opinion is that Luke wrote the letter. That's, that's my personal thought on it. It doesn't matter. You put my opinion with a dollar and fifty cents and you can get a coat. I mean, that's how valuable my opinion is. Well, Doc, he thought, Paul read it. Probably some of you think that too. It doesn't matter. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but what we do know about him is that he had a, a, a pastor's heart. Because when he comes down to the end of this scathing letter at times, he says, but I love you and I want you to know how to take this and to let it work in your life for God's glory. How, how to put it all into practice. And so tonight, if you'll give me a few minutes, most of the messages I preached are three or four points. This morning we had five points. It's just been a good week of study. I've got eight points tonight to preach. Y'all, y'all can hang with me if you want to. If not, the door's back there. Y'all just let yourself out. I'll stay here till I'm done. I'll have at least three folks with me. My family will be here to listen tonight. But I'll try to hurry through these eight points. What I want to do, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a difficult chapter really to divide up because... Uh, it, it just kind of kind of skips around and uh, kind of a lot like Psalms was on Wednesday night. Just several ideas that are that are founded throughout this 13th chapter. So tonight I want to give you several things in a culmination of the book of Hebrews, help you put it all into practice how we should live and be better for the glory of God. Tonight is some of the most practical teaching and preaching that you'll hear from the book of Hebrews. You ready to go with me and finish this book? Say amen. Amen. Let's start in verse number one. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Look down at verse 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. How will the world know that you and I are followers of Christ? Well, in this 13th chapter, first of all, the writer of Hebrews gives us a word about compassion. A word about compassion. How's the world going to know that you're genuinely a follower of Jesus Christ? They'll know you're real if you have 
compassion. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And in verse 1, he says, Let brotherly or brethren love continue. I'll tell you something about loving the brethren, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes the brethren and the cistern aren't real lovable. Sometimes we just aren't. But you know, if you've been saved, the Lord can help a saved person love anybody. He can help you love anybody. In fact, He's living on the inside of you, and the Bible says that God is love. So if the very God who is love is living on the inside of you, then in your Christian life, if He lives out through you, then you can love anybody. You won't always be at odds with everybody. You'll have some compassion, some love. This world needs to know about that kind of compassion. I'm beginning to think that we're living the 1960s over again in our country today. So many people saying things so hateful about each other. I, I can't stand to watch the news anymore. The politicians. Uh, I mean, I, I remember growing up when it was uh, Reagan and, and Tip O'Neill, both on, on both sides of the political aisle, but they could get together and have dinner at the end of the day. Uh, our, our country today, they can't say a kind word to each other. Just so hateful and so mean. Where's the compassion? Where's the love? Well, the, the Bible says if you know Christ, that ought to be a, a marker, a birthmark of a believer uh, that we're people of compassion and people of love. Well, we're to show compassion there in verse 1 to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let brotherly love continue. Let me tell you something in a church. This will help you tonight. In this church, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're not always going to agree with everybody you go to church with. You're not always going to agree. And guess what? Everybody else is not always going to agree with you either. But we've, we've, we've lost how to love each other in spite of our differences. Sometimes even in the church. In verse 2, he goes a step further. He says we ought to be a compassionate people. Not just with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but it gets a little harder here. He says to total strangers, we ought to show love and compassion. Listen to verse 2. Be not forgetful. He's told you to love your brothers, but he said don't forget. Forget to what? Forget to love. Don't forget to love strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. That was true in the life of Abraham, wasn't it? Abraham entertained some angels without knowing it. You ever thought that God may test your compassion by just sending an angel into your life this week? An angel? Somebody that has a need and just kind of puts them in your path? Somebody that needs a kind, loving word just to see if you're going to show them compassion. What if you're rude to that angel and then get to heaven and see that angel standing next to the throne of God? And you say, uh-oh. I was rude to you, wasn't I? And he said, yeah, you were unaware I was an angel. But God sent me there just to see if you'd be nice to me. Listen, we're living in a world that's so broken right now. If the church, listen, if the church would just show compassion, that'd show the world that you're different. 
That's so the world's faith in Christ changes you if you just love people. I think about our Lord when He went through the streets of the cities. He would see people that were blind and begging. You know what Jesus always did? He stopped. He showed compassion. That's how God wants us to be. That's a proof that we're His children. You know what we've done, though? We've turned compassion over to the government. That's what we've done. Oh, somebody needs help. Just let Washington help them. And you know what Washington does? They don't show compassion. They just throw money at it. They just throw money at it. Oh, just, just, just let Uncle Sam do it. God didn't call Uncle Sam to be the one that shows compassion. The government's here to keep order, uh, to, to, to provide defense. Uh, that, that's, that's what, the, to, to make laws. Well, we're the arm of compassion in this world. Uh, and if people don't know the compassion of Christ from us, who will they learn it from? You see, the world does not read the Bible. And everything the world knows about God, 99% of it comes from what they see in my life and your life. If they want to know that God's compassionate, God's people have to be compassionate and show them what the compassion of God looks like. Look at verse 3. He says, we're to show compassion to those that are suffering. He says, remember them that are in bonds. He's talking about people that were in jail. And then which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Some of these Jews were being persecuted in the faith. Some of them were being thrown into jail. I wonder tonight, would you have compassion on anybody in jail? I, I think one of the great trainings for, for my ministry was early on as a young preacher. I preached every week in the jail. On Tuesday night, before I ever had a church brother come me to pastor, I was pastor of the First Baptist Jail in St. Clair County. And I, I had a congregation there. And they, they, brother, they were faithful. They were, they were there every time. Don't be critical of jailhouse religion. Some of them folks are more faithful than some of y'all are. Y'all are out. <laughs> they never miss being, being at church. Would we show compassion to people in jail? Would you show compassion if you found out somebody's in a jail? Most of us, if I'm just talking how our flesh thinks, we say, oh, they made their bed, let them lay in. Except the only problem with that is, apart from the grace of God, you'd be laying in that bed right there next to us. You could be in jail. You, you very well could be. If it wasn't for God's grace. So God put, puts people in our life that are hurting, people that are suffering, people that are going through adversity. And God puts them in, a, in our life so that we can show them compassion. He said, Well, I ain't got money to do that. Well, it, it don't all. Sometimes showing compassion will cost you a little money, but it don't always cost money. I mean, it doesn't cost anything to tell somebody that Jesus loves them and that you love them. It doesn't cost money to tell somebody that uh, it's going to be okay, that, that God's got, a, God's got a, 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 a promise for the problem they're going through, and then give them that promise. Sometimes uh, a kind word is all that people need. There's nothing complicated about this. It's just loving people as we see needs. And so we do this to show compassion, not that we would pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, we're such good people, but so that people can see Jesus in us. That's how to put all this into practice. If we believe what we say we believe about Christ, we will not be a mean-spirited people.
be kind. We show compassion. Number two, he gives us another word starting in verse four. He gives us a word. This is odd, but it's what it is. He gives us a word about chastity. I mean, I read this, and what a change of views. But, but look at verse 4. He goes from talking about loving people. He says, now marriage is honorable in all, and the bed, talking about the marriage bed, undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, that's strong language in it. God will judge. Now that seems so random, but oh, how practical. That is right there. That's practical for your life. If you believe what you say you believe about Christ, it's going to affect that part of your life. Ladies and gentlemen, our, I'll try to be sensitive in how I say this. Our behavior in things that are intimate ought to reflect the glory of God. It ought to reflect the God that lives on the inside of us. We're living in a perverted world. Marriage has become old-fashioned. It's become outdated. But I want you to know marriage is still God's plan for the home. You guys down here, and any of y'all out there that are not married, I mean, from this group all the way back to Danny, back there in the back, I want y'all to listen to me. You guys, here's what you ought to do. You ought to find you a, a girl that likes you. Okay? There's where you start. Find you a girl that likes you. I'm telling you the truth. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Somebody say Amen. Find you a girl that likes you and spend enough time around her, and if she loves you, marry her. Okay? That's what I do. Find you a girl that likes you, she falls in love with you, then marry her. Because there's going to be desires that God's put naturally on the inside of a man that you need to be married to fulfill. I, I, I've said that as sensitively as I can. And when you do it within the bonds of marriage, the, very, the Bible says that the marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled. Marriage and everything that comes with marriage is honorable. It's honorable. Nothing wrong with it. But what we've done is we've let the world dictate what marriage is supposed to look like. And now it looks nothing like what the Bible describes. It's been dishonored. And, and we've, let, we've let that happen. Let me tell you how we've let that happen. Now, let, let me say this. I, I'm, not, I'm not critical when I say this, but listen to me. We have so dishonored marriage that it's almost aware, Christian or not, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, marriage has become so dishonored today that people are just getting divorced over nothing. Don't you listen to me. And I think any, any of the people, I'm not condemning anybody in this room that, that has been divorced. Uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, God, God will forgive the sin of divorce, and I believe it can be a sin. But listen to me. I think anybody in the room that has ever been divorced will tell any, any of us that have not been divorced, don't get divorced because it will bring heartache into your life. I've never met a divorced person that hadn't gone through some heartache getting through uh, to the divorce. It, it's sad when divorce has become so common and marriage has so been dishonored. Do you realize what a pitiful testimony that is to the world. I'm talking to you tonight. I don't know if there's anybody here tonight on the brink of a divorce. I hope you're not. But I want to tell you, for your testimony in Christ Jesus, 
Try to let God save that marriage. Because if you're a Christian and you're saying Christ lives in my life and then you go out out and get a divorce, here's what you've just told the world. Christ can handle every area of my life all the way out to my eternity, but He cannot fix my marriage. I've had people say, well, you know there's biblical grounds for divorce. Well, the Bible does say uh, about fornication and adultery. But you know the Bible never even said that in adultery that you have to get a divorce. Do you know that? Go read about a prophet in the Old Testament named Hosea. He married a woman that not only had adultery, she became a prostitute. God told him to go back and take her back. God can fix any marriage. But don't let Satan destroy it and, and dishonor it. It's a pitiful testimony. He says uh, the marriage should be honorable. And when the marriage is honorable, he says the marriage bed is undefiled. Now, I, I want to, be again, be as sensitive as I can with this subject, but that means exactly what it says. If you're unmarried and you're crawling into bed with somebody that's not, you're not married to, that bed becomes defiled. That's a sinful place. But if you're married, the marriage bed is undefiled. Uh, you know, you want to live a life that glorifies God? Keep physical intimacy within the bonds of marriage. And that's not popular in the sensual culture. But the writer of Hebrews say, is saying that if you believe everything we've talked about about Christ here, then your marriage ought to be right. Keep your marriage what it needs to be before God. And all God's people say it. Amen. That's, that's, uh, that's tough to talk about because marriage is being dishonored, even among God's people. But it's still true. It's still true. God's way is one man for one woman for life. You say, well, I'm already past that preacher. I'm on my second marriage, my third marriage, well, whatever. Well, God can forgive the mistakes of the past. Decide from here on out, I'm going to make Christ Lord in my home and marriage, okay? Now look at verse 5 and 6. In these verses, he gives us a word about contentment. A word about contentment. Listen to verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. What the writer of Hebrews is talking about now, really, he's talking about finances. He moves from loving people to uh, marriage and and, uh, physical purity within the bonds of marriage. And now he's talking about money. Finances. Uh, this is close to home for all of us. Uh, listen to me for a second. We all have to have finances to live. But what he's saying here is you need to be careful that your finances don't have you. Are you following me? We've all got to have finances, but you need to make sure your finances don't have you. He tells us in verse 5, your conversation. That means your manner of life. It needs to be without covetousness. Don't be that person that puts the almighty dollar above Almighty God. If you're a, a person uh, that saved, you have Christ. You're to find your contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to be able to be happy in Christ whether or not there's a penny in your pocket. I've had some days in my married life when I, there's a lot of ways to say this, but I just say I've had those days in my life when I didn't have a penny in my pocket. Any of y'all witness? If not, you have. The ones that didn't know are the ones I'm going to come borrow money from the next time I need it. 
But the rest of us normal folks, especially when we were young married, you know, we eat tomato soup and ramen noodles because we didn't have any money. We spent it all on formula and diapers and all and gas to go back and forth to work. You remember that? Any of y'all ever have to borrow $10 from your mama to get gas to go to work? Some of y'all didn't. Well, I just... Uh, I've had those days when I didn't have a penny in my pocket, Brother Leroy, but God was still good. And you can find your contentment in Christ. Money can buy a lot of things. It can buy a whole lot of stuff. And ain't nothing wrong with having money. I like to have money. And I'm not greedy or filthy lucre. But, but, uh, but, but the electric company is. <laughs> AT&T is. And the gas station is. So we have to have money to live, you know? Money can buy a lot of things, but you know it can't buy happiness. Money can get you a passport to go just about anywhere, except for glory. Our contentment's not to be found in finances. Our contentment's to be found in the Lord. Look down now to verse 7. Remember them which have rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Again, that's the matter of life. He gives us fourthly a word about compliance. Compliance. He's talking now about our relationship to church leaders, to your pastors. Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God whose faith follows. You go down to verse 17, same subject. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they must account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. He's talking here about church leaders. Specifically, I believe he's talking about the pastor. I want to say something about pastors, because I, because I am one, but you can read this just like I can. Pastors are not supposed to be dictators, but God has given them a responsibility to lead and direct those things in your life that are spiritual. Now, I'm going to tell you something about a pastor. And if you didn't already know this, I know I'm about to take some of y'all's breath away when I say what I'm about to say. Your pastor's not always right. Just ask my wife. <laughs> pastors aren't always right. Let me tell you about the pastor, however. He is accountable to God for you. He's accountable to God. You know, as a pastor, I've got two responsibilities. And I, I know this, and I, I take this very, very seriously, all kidding aside. I've got two responsibilities. Number one, my primary responsibility here is to preach and teach and speak the Word of God. My second responsibility, real close to that first one, Number one, I'm to preach and teach the Word of God, but number two, I'm to live out as an example everything I preach. That's, that's the pastor's two main jobs right there. Preach the Word and then show you what it looks like by my living. If you ever have a spiritual leader that does one and not the other, get rid of him and get you one that does. That's true. A preacher's doctrine should always direct his life. If it does... Then God says, get behind his leadership. 
Now, a lot of folks have this idea that the church, and I want you to listen closely to what I'm about to say. A lot of people have this idea that the church is a democracy. And uh, that's, where we, that's where I think we've got some churches that have 94 committees to represent every little sector of the church, and, and they take polls and everything. They think that the church is a, a democracy where the people run things. That's not true. That is not what a church is. And I want you to know, I know that that's not what a church is, and you need to know that a church is not where the people run the church. It's not. Some preachers think that the church is a monarchy, where the preacher runs everything. And the church is not that either. Nor is the church an anarchy, where everybody's just doing what they want to do. Uh, that, that's a mess. None of that is what God has set forth for leadership in a church. The kind of church God wants us to comply with and leadership is a church that's a theocracy. Well, what does that mean? It means that God is supposed to run His church. How does God run His church? I'll tell you. God ordains godly leaders, pastors. It is run through godly leaders and the fellowship of the congregation with that godly leader. Now you show me a place where you've got a godly leader and a fellowship of God's people around that and they're together pursuing to glorify God, I'm going to show you a church that's healthy. That's a healthy church. And when we get something like that, we need to comply with it and go with it because that honors God. Look with me now at verse number 8. In verse number 8, he gives us a word about Christ. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And this is the same Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, that we read about uh, that, that lived 2,000 years ago. And he says that this Christ has not changed. He never wavers. He's always the same. And that's refreshing to my heart. That blesses me because people always change. There's some people that are different every time you see them. I mean, every time you see them, they're, they're moody people. You ever met moody people like that? Note your husband if he's moody right now. It's just, you play slaves. Just different every time, every day they wake up. But we're not consistent with Christ. Christ is consistent. And, and we're reminded in verse 10 that this consistent Christ, look at what it says about him in verse 10, down to 13. It says, we have an altar. We have an altar. Not, not, he's talking to Jews here, not a brazen altar like they had over the temple, but we have a, a different altar. Our altar is Christ. And the point here to these Jews was there was no need for them to turn back to that old religion, that um, they can turn now to something or, or to someone who is better. Verse 11 says, For the bodies of those beings whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest. You see, he's talking there about those animal sacrifices. Their blood was sprinkled on the altar, you know. But man doesn't come to God today on the basis of a year uh, annual sacrifice. We come once to Christ for salvation. Verse 12 says he sacrifices us with his own blood. And the practical application of that truth is found in verse 13. Let's go therefore uh, forth unto him without or outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Our Christian life, knowing everything we know now from the book of Hebrews, 
Our Christian life is to be lived now unashamed of Jesus Christ, unashamed of the gospel, a, a testimony for Christ. People ought to see my life, your life, and it ought to point them to Christ. Once you can say life is not about you anymore, it's about Jesus. Paul said it well when he said, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Jesus Christ ought not to be part of your life. Uh, to some people that name the name of Jesus, Christ is only a part of their life, that part that comes out on Sunday or, or Wednesday sometimes. But ladies and gentlemen, he's not just my Sunday, he's my Monday and my Tuesday and my Wednesday and Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He's not part of my life, he is my life. Is Jesus your everyday Jesus, your everyday life? Look now at verse 9. After all that they've been taught, in these 12 chapters preceding, he gives them, number six, a word about carefulness. Carefulness. Listen to verse 9. There's just various practical things here. He says, be not carried away about, be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with needs. Be not carried away with divers and strange doctrines. What's a strange doctrine? Any doctrine that is not true to the person and work of Jesus Christ is a strange doctrine. Let me say that again. Any doctrine that is not true to the person and work of Jesus Christ is a strange doctrine. And you need to be careful what you allow yourself to believe. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you read. I get concerned sometimes when I hear people in the church or people that say they know Christ when they're talking about or they're reading after somebody or they started listening to some particular preacher or started going to some particular church. We need to be careful about strange doctrines. You know, it, it, it seems to be the cool thing. Can, can you still say cool? Is that the word y'all use now? Does that come back around? Yeah. I don't know what y'all say, but my generation said cool. It seems to be the cool thing in church just to forsake any doctrine and, and just put yourself under any group that names the name of Jesus. Now, I know one dear friend of mine was part of a non-denominational movement. He said, tell me about the church. Oh, we don't do doctrine or anything. We just love Jesus. We don't do doctrine or anything. People say, oh, well, we, we're not concerned about doctrine. We're just concerned with serving Jesus. Well, listen, I don't know a lot about human behavior, but what I do know is that the way you behave is all contingent upon what you believe. Your behavior is always connected with what you believe. If you want to behave in a way that glorifies Jesus, then you've got to know something about the doctrines of Christ. There's plenty of it out there today. Strange doctrines. How do I know what's not a strange doctrine? Follow the Scripture. When I preach to you, you know this by now. I've been your pastor five years and a few months. I'm going to carry you right through the Word of God. You're going to know right where I'm at. I'm not going to jump through the Bible like, a, like I'm on a pogo stick. I'm going to get in the chapter. We're going to stay there. You're going to see it in context. And if I deviate from what is on the page in front of you, you be careful. And any other man or woman these days that, that will stand and take the Word of God and do that, you be careful. Keep all the Bible in its context, and if the teaching doesn't match the Scriptures, don't let that change the way you think. Our minds are to be filled with truth. 
Verse 9 tells us our hearts to be, are, are to be established with grace. And not, this is a peculiar verse. It's a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with me. What is that talking about? Well, when he talks about the meats, he's talking about meat offerings. Remember this morning we talked about law? Over here, the law said do all these things, all these sacrifices, all these offerings. There was a meat offering, an animal offering. And then over here, there's grace. And grace says Jesus has done it all for you. He said you need to be careful. You need to be sure here that your hearts are established with grace, not with meats. He's reminding them of those old legalistic rules. They're not under the law anymore. They aren't trying to approach God on the basis of insufficient works. They've been given grace. You need to be careful. Be careful. And uh, most of y'all that are in the room probably have been Baptist all your life. But you can find Baptist churches that are legalistic. You sure can. Well, what is legalism? Legalism is adding to the Word of God. Kind of like the Pharisees. They just took and they, they decided that we want to add some stuff that we want you to do. When you get right down to it, uh, there's not there's not any not any any written word about it. You know, I, I've, I'm, I've been to some churches before where they say it's wrong. Well, I ain't never read that. That's legalism. That, that, that's, that's, in fact, the psalmist says, "Clap your hands, We're happy to clap here around here. I like that. I've been in some churches, Brother Ryan." Uh, they, uh, some churches right here, the worst thing you could do. Is that right there? They say, oh my! Where's, where's, where's it coming from? Where's it coming from? Coming from a box? Oh no, you can't have anything coming from a box. That doesn't honor God. What chapter and verse do you get that out of? That's legalism. I, I'm, I'm going to break some of your hearts right here, but, but I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I appreciate women and men dressing respectfully at the house of God. I pastored a church one time that had a dress code that said a woman had to go home if she wore pants to church. You think a woman ought to wear pants? I don't concern myself with how women dress. I'm a man. I think women ought to do what the Bible says and be modest. That's what the Word of God says if we're just getting right down to it. That's the truth of Scripture. I've seen some women come in with, with skirts on so short, they'd do better for all of us if they go home and put on a pair of pants. Y'all all right? I, I seriously, I pastored a church one time. They, was, they, they said, and of course I, I, I put a stop to it because I told them it was legalism. They said, all the Bible says. And then they went over to an Old Testament verse about a woman and a woman wearing what pertains to a man. I said, well, then can I wear a robe this Sunday? you got to be careful, ladies and gentlemen, that you're not adding to the Bible. That's legalism. Be careful about that doctrine. The other ditch that you want to stay out of is liberalism. What is liberalism? Liberalism is taking away from the Word of God. Some of these over in this ditch are throwing stones at the ones that are in that other ditch over there. You get the legalists over here, and they're always talking about the liberals. Let me ask you something. At the end of the day, if you're in a ditch, what's the matter which ditch you're in? You know where I want to be? I'll take the old highway, not the ditch. Y'all all right? 
You need to be careful about strange doctrine. No, don't, don't let my talking here and my preaching make you think that your preacher is not old-fashioned and believe the book. That's exactly what I believe is the book. I have problems with strange doctrines when people come and say, it's the book plus what I think, or it's the book plus what I think. Well, I said Jim Jones stuff gets to happen. No, ladies and gentlemen, we need thus saith the Word of God. That's what we need. Thus saith the Word of God. So you have to be careful. And that's what he tells them here. There, there would be these Judaizers that would come back in there and tell them that they need Jesus, but they also need to go to the temple. They need Jesus plus this, Jesus plus this, Jesus plus this. No, it's, it, if it's gross, you just need Jesus. Okay? Our acceptance to God is not based on whether we keep a set of rules or do something. If you say that you've got to do A, B, C, D to, to be accepted of God now once you've come to faith in Christ, you, you tell what you've just done? You've just cheapened the work of the cross. You've just cheapened the work of the cross. Be careful what you allow yourselves to believe. It's only by God's grace. And listen, when it's only by God's grace, let me tell you what that gets rid of. Arrogance and pride. Arrogance and pride. A lot of the false teaching today and legalism and liberalism, it's built around arrogance and pride. Now look at verse 14. Y'all are out smiling. Now, I know we're going through this, but I'm bringing together nine months of preaching all into one thing. I could care less if you ran out of here shouting and hollering tonight, if you'll get what I'm telling you from Hebrews 13, plug it into your life, put it into practice, and go out and glorify God. That's what this is about tonight. He gives us a word in verse 14. I like this, a word about the celestial city. He says, for we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. He's talking here about heaven. The seasons of this world are not going to continue forever. So we're to fix our eyes on heaven. And we're to live toward that uh, destination, toward our arrival. All of our prospects are heavenward, not earthly. The Jews weren't to look over there to the earthly Jerusalem. They're to look to the heavenly Jerusalem. Some of us were going over to that earthly Jerusalem here uh, here before long in December, and I'm looking forward to that, and I know y'all are too. And listen, if you don't ever go to the Holy Land, make sure you got your eyes on that heavenly Jerusalem. That's the one we're living toward. We're not setting our eyes on an earthly temple. No, the writer of Hebrews has told us to keep our eyes on the heavenly Jerusalem and on Christ. He says, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Don't, don't drive your stakes. If you believe everything you said here to you about Christ in Hebrews, don't drive your stakes so deep in this old world. Keep on pressing home. Keep living for that moment when you see his face. That's what he says about the celestial city. And then in verse number eight, uh, uh, 15, he gives us the eighth and final thing. He gives us a word about celebrating. A word about celebrating. He says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Bring a sacrifice of praise. God doesn't want an animal sacrifice from you. You didn't pull up out here this evening to see a, a burnt offering out there in the parking lot, did you? You didn't drive up and see some altar with fire around it, did you? No, you won't. Closest thing you'll ever see is something like that is when Bruce has got that cooker out there going. Doing them hamburgers and hot dogs. That's the only smoke you'll see around here. No, he's not asking us for a burnt sacrifice. But let me tell you what he is asking for. He's asking for a sacrifice of praise. 
That's the only sacrifice he wants, and that's the only one you can give. That's so simple. He's not asking uh, for something you can't do. He's just saying you need to glorify God and praise Him with your lips. Go out there this week and brag on Jesus. Come in here and brag on Jesus. Don't be silent about what God's done for you. Celebrate it now. And by this, others will know who you belong to. Don't they? In verse 18, he gives the benediction. It's really the closing. He says, pray for us. Pray for spiritual blessing. He gives a great benediction in verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, making perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, and to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. To hear that, God wants to make you perfect in every good work. He wants to complete you in Christ. He wants me and you to take everything He's taught us about Jesus and put it down there on our heart and then go out there this week and live it out. Live it out. And Sister Melissa, will you go back to point one and let's run through these point one again. Let's just go back through all of them. What is it that I need to live out? I need to live out compassion. What is it that I need to live out? I need to live out chastity. What is it that I need to live out? Contentment. What is it? Compliance. Well, with leadership. I need to live out Christ. He, he says that I need to live out Christ. He says I need to live out carefulness. I need to be careful about what I believe. He says I need to live out a, a life looking for heaven. And he says that I need to live out praise. Celebrating what Jesus has done for me. Take all that you've learned right here and put it into practice. And then he says there in verse 22, I beseech you, brethren, suffer, bear with, is what he's saying, the word of exhortation. Take it, believe it, live it. And this, this book of Hebrews has showed us that it doesn't get any better than Jesus. There's no reason for us to be devoted to anything or anyone else. We've been given the best thing. We've been given Christ. Don't go out and devote your life to anyone or anything else. Devote your life to Jesus. There's nothing better and no one better to live for. Are you living for Him? Are you living the Christ that you say is on the inside? Is He living in you and through you? Do people see Jesus in your life? Is your life consecrated? Have you given your life to Christ? And maybe somebody in the room tonight, you've never trusted Christ. I want you to know he's your substitute. He stood between you and the wrath of God, took your punishment. He took your place on the cross so you could have his forgiveness for sin and go to heaven. If you're not saved, come and ask him to forgive your sins and be saved tonight. Others of you tonight, if you're saved, consecrate your life to him. Live for him. There will not be anybody that comes along any better than the God of glory to live your life. Take what you know about it. Put it into practice. You can have knowledge up here. That's called education. But when you take what's up here and live it out here through your hands, through your feet, 
through the words you speak, through the things you listen to, through the things you look at. That's not just education, that's transformation. We don't need to be smarter. We need to be transformed. Transformed. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, in verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Listen, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Take everything you learn. This is a smart congregation. Yeah, you'll learn the Bible. I see you taking notes and you're reading and you're nodding because you get it. But, but if it just stays right there and doesn't come out in life, it doesn't matter. You don't glorify God keeping it all up here. Live it out. Live it out. And people will see Jesus in their life. And God be glorified in Christ is living. Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the Way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia, 30132. Or visit us on the web at www.northsidedallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.